And let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for each one that has taken time out of their busy lives to be here this morning. And Lord, my first prayer is that our time spent here would be profitable in our worship for you. Lord, that you would be able to accept our singing of these wonderful songs. And Lord, we're just so thankful that you are the eternal creator God. And yet, you are mindful of each one of us as individuals. And Lord, you've given us the privilege of serving you collectively as a church. And we ask that you would help us to worship you in the song. Lord, I pray about the sermon this morning. It is one that could be easily misunderstood that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to teach and minister the truth to hearts. And Lord, that each one of us here would be willing to receive and accept the truth that is outlined in your word. Help us never, Lord, to be apologetic for what you say in the Bible. And Lord, most of all, we ask that our sacrifice of a willing and obedient heart, of a broken and contrite spirit, would be acceptable in thy sight. And Lord, you would be pleased with the work that you will do in our hearts and lives here today. We ask for your blessings that we may bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great truth that all of us need to put to heart. Amen. And uh, this morning, I want to try to finish last Sunday's sermon. So let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and the children may be dismissed to the children's and toddler's churches. And uh, we got through the first uh, four verses uh, fairly well, and then upwards to to verse 7 in a a summary form. And I'd like to finish this chapter. It's... uh, uh, not an easy chapter to preach, and I want to challenge you, you need to listen very closely, or uh, the noise of our society and uh, things that are accepted as true and honest but really aren't will cloud your minds and, and keep you from understanding the truth that is in this passage. The overall context is Paul is writing to Timothy. If you remember, Timothy was Paul's trainee in the ministry. He called him my son. And and uh, I'll tell you, I've been uh, privileged to have uh, a relationship very similar with uh, Brother Larry Clayton as he's uh, led me and helped and trained in the ministry. And uh, just last night, we we're able to double confirm he'll be with us for our 25th anniversary. And uh, Brother Marshall is going to do all that's in his power uh, to be here as well. And uh, uh, if you've been around the church, those are two names that ought to be very, very special to you uh, as everything about our church really uh, was basically uh, determined by those two. And, of course, Brother Roy Thompson, who's with the Lord and, and uh, certainly would hope and pray that he is with us uh, in spirit in, in meaning by that, not his spirit's floating. He's in heaven with the Lord. Amen. But that the things that he taught and the 
attitude and the ministry that he had still influences what goes on here at Open Door Bible Baptist today. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. And Paul is trying to help Timothy understand the order of things. And you'll have to remember that Timothy, in the days he lived in, they were under the authority and the domination of the Roman Empire. And uh, Caesar was certainly no friend of God, no lover of the God of the Bible. He himself proclaimed himself to be a God. And yet uh, people often say, how can it get any worse? And uh, let me tell you, it was worse when Paul wrote these words. And so the admonition, and we won't go over uh, last Sunday's sermon, is to pray. If you love this country, if you care at all about the United States uh, as a nation, uh, living here as a free person, you need to pray for our president. You need to pray for the Congress. Uh, It has been decades since Congress has really done anything. Uh, They have allowed all the legislation to go to these... Uh, my civics teacher in high school called it the headless fourth branch of government. And uh, uh, it was Ronald Reagan that said the closest thing to eternal life on earth is a government bureaucracy. And uh, that's what the FCC, ICC, uh, CCA, no, that was the name of my school. Uh, all those other initial uh, groups there, at EPA and all of that, they, they exercise dominion over every portion of your life. You you need to pray. Uh, They're so afraid that our president is going to unwind the entanglement of government in your daily life. I challenge you as a Christian, you ought to pray that happens. Uh, You really ought to. We do not need government to help us live for God. And that's what this passage is about. You pray for the kings and here's why that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And we went over how there are nations in the face of this earth that you cannot live honestly in that nation. Uh, There is no way that you can function uh, just providing food and housing for your family without doing dishonest things. It's such a part of the culture and the society. You get stopped by a police officer, it's because he needs a bribe or wants a bribe. Praise God, that doesn't happen here. And uh, what we need, somebody said, oh, you're blind, you can't see. No, Uh, you go down to the Department of Buildings today. You can't even give a cup of coffee across the counter. Uh, You can't do anything except say thank you. And, And honestly, that's the way it ought to be. Amen? And it didn't used to be that way in this city. And uh, that has changed, and that's a good thing, and that's what we need to be praying for. Because there is one message that we have. Verse 4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. How different would it be if every person in government were truly saved? You know what? We weren't, wouldn't be trying to legalize marijuana. Uh, 
we wouldn't be trying to do all of these things that the government is trying to do. Because, verse 5, there, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth of Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So now what Paul is doing is he is, you got to remember, he's admonishing Timothy. Timothy knew who Paul was. Paul was the man that trained him in the ministry. And so as Paul is writing here, he says, Timothy, you've got to keep one message. And that one message that we have is one man. Jesus Christ. We preach Christ. We do not preach the Baptist church here. You've got to get a hold of Christ before we'll let you be a member. You see, it's Christ first. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot get baptized. And if you can't get baptized, you can't be a member of the church. The baptism is your public testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ and your desire to serve Him through His church. It's just that simple, amen? God wants everybody to be saved, but if you're saved, I want to challenge you, this book is going to move you only one direction toward Jesus Christ. When you move toward Jesus Christ, you must publicly identify with Him in baptism and serve Him through His church. You say, well, how do I know it's His church or not? Well, that's real easy. Get out your Bible. Amen? Uh, this is the blueprint. Test it. Check it out. I remember calling a pastor one time as a Baptist church. We had a lady that was wanting to join our church, and, and uh, we accept baptism from churches of like faith and practice. We, we accept baptism from churches that teach the Bible the same way we do. That's the rule. And if a church doesn't teach the Bible the same, then we don't accept baptism because that authority is in the Bible through the church. Amen? I mean, we've been over this before, but... Uh, so I called this church. It was a Baptist church, and and, and uh, the pastor's name was well, maybe I'm not. T- well, our, our, the pastor's name was Buddy Pig, and uh, so I get on the phone, and he goes, "Dispass the pig," and I'm going, "Oh my, okay, somebody from way down south," and and. Uh, I said, now, brother, we have somebody from your church here that wants to become a member of our church in New York City. He said, that's wonderful, brother. I said, okay. I said, but we just need to know what you believe about baptism. And he said, well, we believe as long as you got wet after you got saved, you baptized. And I'm going, whoa, wait a minute. 
I said, wow. He says, is that good enough for you? And I said, yes, sir. Absolutely fine. Thank you very much. I'm not going to get in an argument with him. Amen. And, and so I hang up the phone. I go back and I say, now, I called her name. I said, this is what the pastor of your church said. I said, do you believe that? And she said, no, pastor, I, I don't believe that. I said, well, then what we're going to ask you to do is to get baptized, identifying with the doctrine and the faith of our church. She said, sure. You know, we've had a lot of people over the years that said, no, if what I did isn't good enough, well, then I'll go somewhere else where it is. Hey, I'm not here to argue with you. I hope and pray that every person's here this morning under their own free will. I met a guy, he was in jail, and he was when he was in jail, he said, yeah, he said, the chaplain would call, and he said, I'd go and bring the other prisoners uh, to the service. And he said, one of them would have a ruffled shirt, and the other would be... Uh, uh, just come and sit down in the chair because he's all wore out. He said, what have you been doing? He said, you said to bring them, so I brought them, huh? Uh, That's not what we do, amen? You cannot force someone to do what's right because if they do what's right, they must do it for the right reasons. You've got to make a choice. There's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And the reason He is the mediator is because He's the one that died for us. Amen? And Paul said, I'm a preacher. And I want to echo those words. I I am a preacher of the Gospel. And he said, an instructor in faith and verity. And verity is one of those old English words we don't use much more. Use much anymore. And I'll just read you the definition. Truth. That's the definition of the word verity. In either general or with reference to a particular fact, conformity to fact or reality. So, Paul says, listen, I'm a preacher of Jesus Christ. In faith, that's what we believe in Jesus. And in truth and conformity to reality. The word verity is more than just saying what's true. It's What's true and what conforms to the world in which we live? How often have we who believe in the Bible been accused by the world of not being very realistic? uh, Of not being attached to what's going on around us? And that is absolutely true. I don't believe in uh, 60-some percent divorce rate. I think we as Christians ought to abstain and not be a part of that. Amen? Am I in the right church this morning? Now, divorce touches so many. And God forgives. But I think as servants of Jesus Christ, we ought ought to be detached from that reality that is in this world. I don't think we ought to compete with the world on the world's terms. I think we ought to serve God as instructed in the Bible. You say, well, that's not very realistic. Well, I'm enjoying it. And I wouldn't trade my life for ten of anybody else's. 
Every good thing in my life has been because of obedience to this book. And I, I've had people actually sit down and say, oh, you were just lucky. You found a good wife. No, that wasn't luck. I found my wife serving God. By the way, that's what she was doing too. And that was almost 29 years ago. And I will tell you this. I'll take another 29 if the Lord will give them. You see, when we follow the Bible, you can't improve on what God wants to happen in your life. Amen? God wants, He has your best interest. Actually, God has His best interest at heart. And His best interest is the most wonderful thing that could ever happen to you. You've got to get a hold of that. That's, that's Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And so we move on and, and Paul gives a command to men. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on verse 8 because those that showed up for the men's prayer breakfast this morning got a pretty good dose of this. But it says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. This is what Paul says ought to be the reflection of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The reflection of salvation is that men would pray where? Everywhere. Well, I'll tell you what, I I can't pray where I work. Well, then I would challenge you, you need to get another job. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, if you work driving a cab, that you ought to get down on your knees and close your eyes while you're trying to drive your cab. Uh, let's, Let's put a little common sense in here. But if you've driven in New York City, you've learned to pray while you drive. Hello? Am I the only one? Uh, Because the rest of that is without wrath and doubting. And I will tell you, there is so much that goes on while you drive to encourage wrath and doubting. Amen? Uh, And and if you're going to have the victory over that, you'd better learn how to pray. And the Bible says that our prayer is what God wants us to do. Uh, Again, we reviewed this last week, but... The closest you can get to God is in prayer. When you finally surrender to the point to where you are actually praying for what God wants to happen, that's as close as you can get to God. That is God speaking His word and will in your heart and soul, and it is reflected back to Him in what He wants to accomplish. That's why most of our prayers are worthless. Is because we're praying for things we want to have happen. But Paul said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. That means you've got to be clean, separated unto God. Don't get angry. Just be right. That's what 
you know, really, that is the definition of what true manhood is, is it not? Is the ability to be right and to make right choices without having to curse everybody else in what you're doing. You want to scare the liberals out of their mind and the God-haters? Just be confident that what you are doing is God-ordained and you really don't care what they think. And they'll accuse you of everything under the sun except what's honest and what's right. Because the lies that they propose cannot take that kind of pressure. And that's what we need in this world. By the way, it says, in like manner also. So ladies, I want you to understand. You're to have holy hands just as the men do. Without wrath and doubting. I think that's much more harder for the ladies than it is for the men. Now ladies, I'm not trying to pick on you this morning, but we've got to go through this and it's not going to be the most pleasant passage for some. But I want to ask you a question, ladies. Don't raise your hands, please. How many of you have doubted God-ordained leadership in your life from a man? Boy, did that get quiet. You know why? Because everyone has. That is human nature. And here's what Paul's saying. He's saying... In like manner also, that means lifting up holy hands in prayer without wrath and doubting, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that, I mean, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, one of the number one charges when the subject is brought up of male leadership in the church, is, you you don't think we have a right to say anything or do anything. You just want us to sit and do nothing. Well, how in the world do you adorn your life with good works if you're doing nothing? See, you're not paying attention to the Bible. But the Bible puts things in specific order. And by God's grace, I'm not going to apologize for what God said in His Bible. Though every commentary I read does. It's hard to put these words forth in in the manner simply, that was a different time, Pastor. Women were treated like pieces of property. Yes, they were. And Paul was preaching against that in this very passage. Paul was bucking the system of his day just as much as we are going to buck the system of our day. 
Because the world system has always been against what is in the Bible. And the idea here is there is a place of service and it is just as important as the place of service in the men. Uh, of the men, there is no difference in worth or value as a person or a soul in the Scriptures. Jesus died for the world. Amen? Men and women all the same. But He's got jobs for us to do. Want you to th- How many of you work a job where there's more than five employees at, at your job? How many of you work a job where you got more than five employees there? Now, if your boss came in one day and said, listen, I'm going to stop being the boss. I'm going to let everybody be their own boss. I've already seen a few smiles and shaking heads. and Wouldn't go very far. Wouldn't get very much done now, would you? There has to be an order and an authority, I think, of in the military. One of the things that has made the American military different than many other militaries in history is we have had some extraordinary generals. But what has made the American military so extraordinary is we have had a multitude of extraordinary captains and majors, lesser officers, and an even larger volume of extraordinary enlisted men in sergeants and sergeant majors and and those people that are down the platoon leader, we might say. Those are, are the guys that make the difference on the battlefield. But no matter how great their leadership or their ability, if they didn't have men following them and executing their direction, nothing would be accomplished. There are cemeteries all over this world where America has buried its military servicemen that have given their lives for freedom of people not even on this continent. Rows and rows of crosses. And I dare say, myself included in this, that I could give you five names that are on those crosses in that cemetery. And yet the reason we're free today is because those men are buried there. Can we, could we say amen to that? There, there is an order and there is a line of authority. And, and here is what Paul is doing. He says, in like manner also the women also adorn themselves. The first thing that they ought to see is Jesus. If that were our goal, nothing else would matter now, would it? And that's what Paul is just simply saying here. And then we get to the part that makes everybody mad. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. 
But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now those words are harsh in our modern day and time. In fact, we've often poked just a little bit of fun at the Orthodox synagogue that used to own this building. Uh, they had walls down the center, uh, down the sides here. That's why the floor is raised on both sides. There was a partition wall there. And there used to be a door in the back on each side and one in the front. And uh, that's how the women got in and out of the auditorium. And they had seating on the side. They could not sit in the center like you are today. In fact, the rabbi told me that they were so orthodox that when they bought a funeral plot for their family, they only put the husband's name on the funeral plot and the male children, they didn't put any female names at all. And so when the new rabbi that officiated the sale had to come and take care of the uh, the life boards and different traditions that they had, he had to actually pay somebody to go out to the cemeteries and look up the names so he could fill them in uh, because they hadn't even put them in their own records. I'll, I'll tell you what, that's not what this is talking about. I think I've told the story. One of the old rabbis actually came to visit after we'd had the building a couple of years. And... Uh, he said, my name is, and I said, yeah, I recognize that name. He said, we, we just wanted to see what you did. I said, well, we, th- we hadn't changed the auditorium hardly at all back then. We had, and uh, he looked at me almost timidly and said, what did you do with the basement? And uh, the basement was terrible. The floor was completely rotten. We, we removed the basement floor with a shovel for the vast part of it. I said, well, uh, I, I called uh, my home church in Cleveland. We got a couple of contractor guys out to come and help us, and we poured about three inches of concrete over top of the subfloor, and uh, now we've got a good solid floor down there instead of putting wood on a concrete subbase, which is just going to rot. And Mrs. Rabbi just lit up like a light bulb. I told you what that out! And she read him the riot act. All the way down the stairs. I told you, we told you that's what, you guys wouldn't listen to us. And I'm sitting here going, their names may not on the roll, but I know who's running the roost. Uh, Let me tell you that. That doesn't mean that you're wrong. But it says, learn in silence with all subjection. Now that word subjection, oh, that's a terrible word. Let me ask you a question. How many of you obeyed the speed limit as you drove to church this morning? Did you do that? Okay, good, Brother George. I saw a hand coming up. Do you know what? You were in subjection to the laws. When you obey the speed limit. That's what the word means. It means under authority. It it means, it says, the act or fact of being subjected as under a monarch or other sovereign or superior power. Uh, Could I propose to you some amazing truth that NYPD is is a 
greater authority than you are, and if they give you instructions, you ought to listen and comply. Would anybody disagree with that? I hope you don't, because you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble if you do. You see, this idea here is, is letting things be done in order, according to direction. And by the way, we subject ourselves not to preacher, not to just the men in the church, but if we're going to subject ourselves, let's keep it in context, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. If we submit ourselves properly to Christ, then that means sometimes we can't talk. I I appreciate one of the reasons why we have children's church is so that you can hear me preach. Amen? Uh, The nursery. We have double and triple insulated and soundproofed, and it still doesn't work with some kids. But for the most part... Uh, Unless we get a real screamer back there, you don't hear what's going on in the nursery. And what you do hear is not what our nursery workers hear. And so you pray for those nursery workers. Uh, We did have a service one time in the old building where a guy came in and insisted on talking over the preacher at times. And so just simply ask him to leave. And he did. Uh, That's what this passage is talking about. And it says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, what this is simply talking about here is, if I can coin a phrase, is surrendering the right of determination. Surrendering the right of setting the direction. That is the job of the pastor. That's what Paul was trying to encourage Timothy. Timothy was apparently a very timid young man. And Paul was trying to embolden him and help him understand that you're not going to get things, you're not going to get a consensus By getting everybody's opinion. He said, if you want real consensus in the church, you've got to get everybody focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, God has an ordained preacher. And that's where the leadership is supposed to come from. And that's simply what... It doesn't mean you you study the Bible. He said, I want the woman to guide the home. He said, I, I want the older ladies to teach younger ladies. And by the way, age doesn't determine what older is there. Just like age doesn't determine an elder in a church. I remember sitting a man down in his late 70s several years ago when I was a very young preacher. And, and, and he said, I'm the elder in the church because I'm the oldest man here. And I said, no, you're not. I said, I'm the elder of the church. I'm just a younger elder. And he looked at me kind of funny, and I said, that's the term elder in the church means pastor. Are you the pastor of the church? He said, no. Do you want to be the pastor of the church? I said, no. Well, then I have to ask you to stop teaching people things that aren't in the Bible. 
Because they're not in the Bible, number one. And number two, you have no right to teach in our church. We just had a similar thing a couple weeks ago. The fellow said, I'll teach your church. I said, no, you won't. He said, why not? I said, because I'm not going to let you come in and do it. Because nothing in what you want to teach is from the Bible. Now, I'll tell you what. Brother Clayton comes. I want him to teach our church. Amen. Brother Marshall comes and, and these other men. And I, I want you to pray. i got a couple of surprises I'm hoping to work on. But I won't tell you until they work out. Uh, uh, having some other preachers in and doing some special things throughout this year. You see, here's the example that Paul is trying to teach us. Look at verse 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So here's the example. God created Adam. And what did he say in the Bible? It is good, not good that the man be alone. I will make and help meet for him. Now, most of your modern versions will put those two words, help and meet, together. Help meet or help mate, like a playmate, you know. That, that is not what the Bible teaches. And help is a specifically designed tool to do a job. How many of you have ever worked a trade where you need specialty tools to get the job done? Tell you what, if you don't have them, you don't get the job done. I remember working on a car one time and it says you need a J804-something wrench in order to loosen the nut that holds the pulley on the crankshaft. And I said, ah, I'm going to make one. And I went out and bought one. You know why? Because you couldn't get it done without that tool. It was designed to fit. And God designed women to fit with men in marriage. And it's a wonderful thing when it's done right. But you see, then the devil came along. And he used the serpent to talk to Eve. And Eve talked to the serpent. And the serpent beguiled or tricked her. He deceived her into believing that what God said was no, was good. He changed Eve's mind about God's word. Now here's the saddest chapter in all history. Eve took the fruit and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. Adam was standing right there watching and listening to the whole thing and he did not open his mouth to stop her. Now I will tell you, that was a terrible thing. And as God was passing out the judgment, he said, ladies, he said to Eve, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and conception and, uh, and travail in delivery. And, and we'll get to this in just a minute. 
But where would we be without women? I'll tell you where we'd be. One generation from extinction. As a human race. If we stopped today and no one gave birth, the human race would disappear in just a matter of decades. All we would have was old people waiting to die. But God said that unto your, the husband would be your desire. She, he said, unto, and what God was doing was he was telling Adam, you didn't take responsibility for the help I made for you. And that's why the world went into sin. You see, Eve wasn't blamed. The Jewish people have a tradition. The woman lights the candle uh, at the beginning of Sabbath because she was the one that put light out. That is such a lie. It was Adam who willfully chose, knowing exactly what he was doing, to disobey God. And God says, men, it is time that you are going to be forced to take the responsibility of your manhood and be a protector and a guide and a director for women. That works in the home. By the way, that works in the church. By the way, it can work in government. I'm not against... Somebody said, you're against Hillary because she's a woman. No, I'm against Hillary because she is the epitome of evil in our society. That's why I'm against Hillary. In fact, if you want to know whether something's right or wrong, ask Hillary Clinton if she's for it. I'm against it. It works almost every time. You see, if, ladies, if you want the man in your home to be a man, all you have to do is stop being the man of your house. Ladies, if you want the men in our church to be men, all you have to do is stop being one. If you want the men in our society to be men, you better get down on your knees and pray. Because that's the only way it's going to happen. Because there is no encouragement outside of a local independent Bible-believing church for men to be men. It is the greatest sin that you can be guilty of in American society today. Guys, it's time to stand up and be guilty. How come I didn't get an amen on that? You know who I should have got the loudest amen from? It was from the ladies. You see, why is abortion so important in our society today? Because that's what separates the ladies from the men. And if a woman can terminate her pregnancy at will, then she is free to compete with men in a man's world. That's why it's so important. 
You see, here's what the next verse says. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. You see, this doesn't mean that if you want to be saved, you have to have a child. Or if you've given birth to a child, you're going to heaven. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is the tendency of unsaved, wicked men to demote women to a place of non-importance. And even the most wicked and vile of people have to understand that if we don't produce another generation, there's not going to be another generation here. We're going to die out. That's what's happening in Europe today. People have listened to this stuff. It has happened in the Roman Empire. It happened in the Greek Empire before. Listen, all the Bible was saying is there's something special about being a woman. But if you ladies want to make that special, you must continue in faith, charity, Holiness with sobriety. Now, faith, that's pretty simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen? Faith is to simply believe God's Word and surrender to the order of things that He has. You know, the greatest tendency is... Uh, how else? Uh, the only way I can describe this, if, if people, you want to put a word in it, women need one thing. They need security. They need to feel safe and protected. That That is one of the major needs. And men, when you do not fulfill that, let me tell you something, the women are going to do something. Right, wrong, or indifference. That's why she grabs the wheel and causes the accident. Because he's driving unsafely. Well, you know what? It's your job to make the people in the car you drive feel safe because you're behind the wheel. That's that's just an illustration of how this is supposed to work. You see, faith means believing what God's Word says, period. That is surrendering my right to determine what I'm going to do with my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and to what the Bible says. In the home, there, there is, I love the way my pastor put it, Roy Thompson. He said, I'm the man of my house. Just like that. And if you remember Brother Thompson, he could roar and fill an auditorium with his voice. I, I never could get anywhere near that. And then he said, because my wife lets me be. And you see, that's the truth that Paul is trying to bring forth in this passage. It's faith in God's Word that what God said is best. Charity. How many of you know what the working definition of charity is? Love in action. Love expressed to another human being. 
That's why there are two words in your King James Bible. That's why there's only one word in many of the modern versions. Because it's easy to talk about love. Everybody loves. All we need is just more love. But if your love has no action, can I challenge you? It's not love. That if you have true love, it's going to bring you to charity. And that is an expression of that love. And one of the greatest expressions of love that my wife has ever given me as a man is to allow me to lead and to trust me at times where I am making a decision and she is terribly worried about what's going to happen. Because I understand what's going on. There is great turmoil in her soul. But as a leader, I've got to make the right decision. Or she's the one that's going to suffer the most for it. And so sometimes we as men, we stop and we wait a little bit. Kind of like what happened with Moses on Mount Sinai in the Sunday school lesson. And if you're not careful, you don't like that waiting and you'll go find something else to do. And you're only making trouble. For yourself, for your home, for your church, and for the world in which we live. Charity is love expressed. Holiness. That is purity. Cleanliness from this world. We walk through an open sewer in New York City. I mean, that's probably... The best way to describe it, most of you don't have no idea what an open sewer is, but you go out in the country, and and there are places where you'll still find them. They have no pipes. They just dig a ditch, and you can have two or three houses, and it'll all run into one little pool out back. And I'll tell you what, you don't have to ask where the cesspool is. Everybody knows. And if it didn't stink, it's not working. And it's got to stink. That's what makes the thing work and, and dissolve all the bad stuff and get rid of that. And it's a terrible thing. But sometimes you look at the Bible and you look at the world in which we live and everything is against the Bible. But that doesn't excuse us from being holy. Can we say amen to that? Ladies? And then the last one is with sobriety. Now, sobriety in our day and time, did you pass the sobriety test? You know, the police officer gets it out and you go, (laughs) and blow in the tube or whatever they do. That's not what the word sobriety really is intended to mean. Another Bible word that is very similar to sobriety is moderation. You see, we have, and this is the reason why Paul is putting this into the women, is there, there have been terrible excesses. People think that they're being holy when they're only being selfish. You see, there, there are... Uh, uh, 
a whole world of wickedness that we live in. And God gives us narrow parameters in which we are to work if we're going to be holy. But people will get in those narrow parameters and slender them down to fit themselves. That's the problem with the Amish religion. Is they drew a line in 1828 and what was acceptable in 1828 or somewhere thereabout is the standard of holiness. That's why you can't have electricity in your home. That's why you can't have a tractor with an engine in it. You've got to have horses draw your thing. And they believe that keeping things like they were in 1828 is what makes them holy unto God. I want to tell you that that is holiness without sobriety, without soberness, without proper attendance to what is going on around you. And it draws attention to you and to your standards instead of to God and who He is. I've known women who have said, I'm holy, you can't touch me to their husbands. That's not what the Bible's talking about. I've met people say, well, listen, I'm holy. I don't associate with other people. Therefore, I don't need to go to church. That's not what the Bible's talking This is a local church context. People have gone to all kinds of extremes, and I could spend until next week trying to delineate and never cover them all. But here's what the Bible says. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing... The woman is not a piece of property. The woman is not worthless. The woman is the crown of mankind. And it's time for the men to start treating the women like they ought to. Instead of competing with them. If they continue. Now ladies, this is your part. Faith. That means... Believe in this book enough to act on it. Charity. Let the love that Jesus has put in your heart is expressed in biblical terms to those around you. Not your terms. You know, we think because some uh, ladies sometimes think because they hug and kiss everybody that everybody loves everybody. That's not love. Real love comes from God. That's why the Bible says God is love. How do I share God with someone? Well, let's go back a few verses. Sometimes it's by learning in silence with all subjection. Sometimes it's just sitting still. You know, sometimes men won't be men until the lady sits still and forces their hand. There's a lot of truth in that. Holiness. But this moderation, avoidance of excess. The word that it uses in definition three is staidness. S-T-A-I-D-ness. I looked up the word staidness and it said Moderation. Gravity, seriousness, soundness, 
or saneness of judgment. Could we not use a little saneness of judgment? How many of you have seen that? Um, uh, I've seen it on several bus stops here in the story of the glass there. Uh, it's got the picture of some lunatic media member saying, we're going to make the world sane again. And I'm sitting here going, if this guy is the definition of saneness, I'll gladly endorse my insanity. Amen. The world is so foolish in what they think makes sense. None of it works. Try spending your way. No, don't try spending your way out of debt. It doesn't work. But people believe the craziest things when they turn away from faith in this book called the Bible. You see, this is order in the church. This is so that we can pray. And let me tell you something. We need some prayers answered as God's people in this day and in this time. We, we need some prayers answered in our government. How many would say amen to that? Uh, we need some prayers answered in our church. How many would say amen to that? We need some prayers answered for the Union Baptist Church. You better say amen to that. We've got a work, our first work crews coming up uh, Friday of this week. You pray for us as we try to set things up so that we can have a flat floor in the church that doesn't disappear when you step in the wrong place. Um, pray for us. We need some answers to prayer. Brother Franz is preaching at a church in Corning today, trying to raise support so that he can start the Morris Park Bible Baptist Church in the Bronx. We need some prayers answered. Somebody say amen to that. God's not going to answer our prayers, men, if we're not lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Ladies, faith, charity, holiness with sobriety. God wants to answer our prayers. He wants to get us to the point to where we can pray for what God wants. And God always loves to do what He wants to do. Read 1 John chapter 5. That's what it says. And so I want to challenge you, men and ladies, that there's a way that God has ordained the church to behave and to work. And that we need to pray. And that's the end goal. Is so that we can pray and God will answer those prayers. If I were to ask every person in here. There's not a one of us that couldn't raise our hand and give a list of burdens that we carry in our heart that only God can solve. Yes? Hello? Okay, if you want God to solve them, this is the answer. As an American, I am burdened for my nation like I've never been before. We need to pray. Because the stakes are too high. 
families. Your family can not afford to fail. The price is too high. You want your family to have success, to go forward, to be used of God. Let me tell you, you better learn how to pray, man. Woman, you better learn how to pray for your husband the way you ought to. Otherwise, it's going to fail. The statistics, the society, everything we know is against the successful marriage of a man to a woman. Somebody said, well, I'm not sure I married the right one. If they're willing to stay, it's the right one. Trust me. And I have the word of God to back me up on that. We need God to do some things. But it all starts in individual hearts. And then it starts as we bring those individual hearts into a home. And then as we bring those homes into a church. You say, well, I I don't have a family of my own. I'm just by myself. Well, let me tell you, this church will be your family. And many can give testimony to that fact. I am closer to people in this church than I am to many of my own family members. Why? Because we're working together to serve the Lord. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would do your work in hearts and lives. And Lord, we pray that no one here would be so influenced by the foolishness of this world to reject the truth that is in your word. Lord, even though we may not understand completely and fully how it works, I pray that each one of us here would be willing to surrender to the truth of your word. Lord, I pray for those that may be among us that aren't even saved. That, Lord, you would work and help them to understand what it means to trust Jesus as their Savior. That they'd be willing to allow someone to open the Bible and talk with them. Lord, we just pray that you'd work in the hearts and lives of those that are here and trying to live for Christ, that you would open our eyes to see the truth that is in this passage. And Lord, we would surrender, each one of us, the right of our ability to determine what we do to you and to your word. Lord, that we would follow the order and the direction that is here. And be willing to find the greatest good in faith toward Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would give us sobriety. Because it tempers the extreme demands of our nature. Lord, we ask that you would work in this time to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.